So we are doing a series right now on basics, okay? So the basics of evangelism and where that's rooted in uh, today is in this concept of mission home. So when I was talking to Elder Joe about this, we decided, or we we're kind of talking about like what this means and what does uniqueness mean and how do we apply it. So Elder Joe has been talking a lot about Jesus Christ as basically the foundation for all this. And that's how I'm also going to take it uh, from here too. So we're going to talk a lot about kind of Jesus as the unique leader. Okay. Uh, in doing so, we'll start off with talking and kind of doing some fun stuff with uh, some things famous people have said. Okay. After that, we'll look at what it takes to be a leader. And then we'll finish up with how Jesus fits a lot of these things and how we, and how we as followers of Jesus follow a, a leader who's truly unique, who's truly one of a kind. Okay? So, let's look at this. He alone who owns the youth gains the future. He alone who owns the youth gains the future. I picked this quote because I thought it was, it was one good. I thought it was kind of appropriate because the quote itself kind of is, uh, you know, it backs up a lot of what we say. Like we have a very strong focus towards remnant ministry, raising this next generation. So he alone who owns the youth gains the future. Who do you think might have said this? Jia, who do you think? Take a guess. The longer you take, the longer message is going to be today. Just remember that. Yes. True. Famous person said this. Which famous person? Han, who do you think? Pastor from one of the big churches? Okay. Brandon, we'll try you last. Gandhi. Not bad. Not bad. So famous person, maybe a pastor of a big church, maybe Gandhi. Okay. Good answers, right? So Adolf Hitler said this. You guys are close, but Adolf Hitler. Okay. Next one. Do not compare yourself to others. If you do so, you're insulting yourself. Do not compare yourself to others. If you do so, you're insulting yourself. Okay? So I picked this one. Bullying is kind of a big hot topic, right, today? Um, and then I think how bu people bully is changing. How, how people bullied maybe 20 years ago was more on the lines of, you're not like everyone else, so we're going to bully you because you don't fit in. Right? But I think who's bullied now is, is kind of changing it's like you're different and i'm different we're all different but that person is too different it's like overboard so i think people bully that person or that person's not different enough so they bully that person okay anyways so that's the reason i picked this quote do not compare yourself to others if you do so you're insulting yourself uh, we can stay with we can stay with them. So, Brandon, who do you think? Stalin. Stalin? Okay. 
Famous person? True? Anna. President of which country? President of the United States. Okay? Also, also quote by Hitler. Okay? Next one. Make the lie big. Make it simple. Keep saying it, eventually people will believe it. Okay? So the reason I picked this is because this is like the Korean community in a nutshell. Because I don't know how many times my mom will bring up something that she either heard from somewhere else, some other person, or she saw on TV and she tells me it like it's facts or truth or the gospel, right? So the biggest one for the Korean community that this falls into is do not sleep with what? Do not sleep with a fan on or you will die, right? Oh my, where did you hear this from? I saw it on TV. They did a news thing on it. That I sleep with the fan on and then I will perish instantly. Because the two weeks that I've been doing it up to now, I guess I dodged death, right? Make the lie big, make it simple, keep saying it, people will eventually believe it. And today, this has been like 50 years probably of Korean people saying this. And even now, you guys know what I'm talking about. And we should not sleep with fans on because we will die. <laughs> right? Ridiculous. Anyways, true. Adolf Hitler also said this. Okay? So next one. Next couple, next, uh, these last three will not be Hitler. That would be the hint. Not be Hitler. Okay? He who has never learned to obey cannot be a good commander. He who has not learned to obey cannot be a good commander. <laughs> These are all leadership quotes, true? Yeah. I will say this. When I saw who said this, I was it was interesting because this person is not a military person. Okay? It's not an armed forces type of person. Okay? So, Brandon, who do you think? Gandhi? Chuyo? Huh? Okay. <laughs> Han. George Washington? Not a military figure. Okay? He who has not learned, to, who's never learned to obey cannot be a good commander. This person is trying to say what? That first you need to know how to be obedient and then you'll be able to lead. Okay? Do we know who this is? True. Aristotle. Okay? This is a bust or a statue of Aristotle. So remember it goes Socrates taught Plato and then Plato taught Aristotle. So again, Aristotle talking about uh, kind of military kind of concepts. It's interesting. Anyways. Outstanding leaders go out of their way to boost the self-esteem of their personnel. If people believe in themselves, it's amazing what they can accomplish. Okay? Outstanding leaders go out of the way to boost the self-esteem of their personnel. If the people believe in themselves, it's amazing what they can accomplish. The hint here will be this is more modern day. It's not super modern day, but it's modern day. Okay, so Steve Jobs, good, 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 good guess. 
Who else? Sujin. Who? This is a person of business. It's a business type person. Trump? Okay. Jia. Who do you think? This is a business person in the modern world. Everyone knows probably who this person is. If you don't know this person, you'll know a lot about this person. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bill Han. Bill Gates is another good, good guess. So you guys all guessed, when you guessed, when I said it was someone of business, you all guessed wealthy people. What made you associate business person, leadership, all these things with wealth? Modern society. Modern society, right? <laughs> to be a leader in corporations today, you need to be rich. I don't know, maybe that's true. It was Sam Walton. Sam Walton is the guy who started Walmart. <laughs> it only looks like him because he's wearing a hat. <laughs> Sam Walton's family, I think Sam Walton's now passed, but Sam Walton's family is probably the richest family in America. Like when you see the richest Americans list, his kids are like three of the top 15. If they ever put their money together, then, you know, they'll be up there with the Amazon, you know. That kind of level. All right? So last one. Last one. The only place success comes before work is in the dictionary. <laughs> the only place success comes before work is in the dictionary. The person here trying to say what? For you to be quote unquote successful in, in whatever way you define that, right? In whatever way you define success, it's going to require work, right? It's going to require something to be burdensome to you. It's not going to be very natural. Okay, Elon Musk is one guess. This is, actually, it's a sports figure who said this. What? Brady? J.J. Watt? Messi? Leo? Michael Jordan? James Harden. He's lazy. I don't know. <laughs> Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods. The person who said this is Vince Lombardi. Vince. Vince Lombardi. Okay. When I said Vince Lombardi, who thought he would look like that? No. <laughs> Because this is not Vince Lombardi. <laughs> this is Von Miller, right? He is a linebacker for the Broncos. When the Broncos won the Super Bowl, he's holding up the trophy that you get when you win the Super Bowl. What trophy is that? It's the Lombardi trophy, okay? So Vince Lombardi, Vince Lombardi is a older, probably Italian heritage, maybe white guy. Right? So he was the head coach of the Green Bay Packers, and then his Green Bay Packers won the first two Super Bowls ever in the existence. 
Okay, so then they named the Super Bowl trophy after him. So when you see Super Bowls, you see that trophy with the football on top of it. That is the Lombardi Trophy. Okay. Anyway, so when we're moving on now, we'll look at kind of what it takes to be a leader. And when I thought about this, I thought, well, how do I determine what it takes to be a leader? Right? If I kind of came up with something, it would just be my opinion of what it takes to be a leader. So naturally, in this day and age, when you don't know something or you want to get the opinion of others without asking a million people, the thing you do is you go Google it on the internet. Okay? So when I Googled character traits of leadership, what does it take to be a leader? What should a leader have? It came up with these words. Okay? Then I took those words and I put them into a program that generates a word cloud. Okay? Then that program, when it generates into the word cloud, highlights or makes bigger the words that came up more frequent. Okay? So when I did this list of words and I was searching top 10 whatever, top 15 this, top 25 that, it, was, it came out to almost 200 words, a lot of them repeated. Okay? So as you see here, there are probably about four words that kind of came up more often than other words. Those four words being empathy, confidence, communication, and accountability. Okay? So before we keep going, let's make sure we understand fully what these words mean. Okay, so empathy is the ability to understand and share in the feeling of others, to be able to put your, yourself in the shoes of others and know what they go through. Okay, confidence, uh, the feeling or belief that you can rely on something or someone, okay, to have faith in something, to be very um, assured of that thing. Okay, communication. Uh, the imparting or exchanging of information or news, okay, to be able to um, express whatever information you have to others effectively. Uh, accountability, an obligation or willingness to accept responsibility or to account for someone's actions. Okay, so those four words are what the internet, today's internet, believe are the most important characteristics or traits for an effective leader to have. Okay, why do we need to talk about that today is because we ourselves, whether it's at school and then when you go to work and when, you know, wherever you go, you're putting yourself either, either forcibly under someone else's leadership or voluntarily you're going to under someone's leadership. We're talking about it as in church because we ourselves are going to do that with Christ. And hopefully we have already done that with Christ. But if you haven't, then hopefully you will by the end of this. Okay, so these four things, we will see how Christ truly meets the criteria of these four words. However, I thought that Christ actually, there was another word that I thought Christ uh, extremely exemplifies very well. And it's a characteristic that you don't see very often, but surprisingly when I was Googling Google, you know, it came up quite a bit and it's the word humility, right? Rarely I think today, we think our, lead, we think our, our leader needs to be humble, right? But I think that is a very valuable leadership trait. And I think we, as, um, as followers of, of someone, right, would appreciate that. So just to make sure we understand humility, humility, uh, freedom of pride or arrogance to be humble. Okay? So again, uh, all these five words, we, we, I guess, either knowingly or unknowingly look for in our leadership. Okay? 
Some, I'll draw a real quick side story. Okay, so humility is an interesting one. Um, when myself and Jo Jung and Elder Joe, we worked at the same company called Anadarko. They have like five pillars of what their company stands for. And one of the things it stands for, it says it stands for, is servant leadership. Okay, and that is a term right out of the Bible, right? And when Jo Jung Noonin was telling me all about Anadarko before I started working there, he was like, hey, even like some of the, the business pillars are kind of like from scripture. And that was the one that really stuck out for most people, servant leadership. Um, Anadarko used to have the CEO. His name was uh, Jim Walker or Jim uh, Hackett. Really, really beloved. Everyone loved him. Very good communicator, very personable, but very humble, right? He, the, the company has a cafeteria and most employees would go to the cafeteria to go eat. He as the CEO, would go to the cafeteria, get his food, and then it's like high school or middle school lunchroom where then you go look for where to sit, okay? He's the CEO of the company, right? As the CEO of the company, he would look to see who is sitting by themselves, and then he will go sit down with that person and then have this very deep level conversation with this person. So one reason he does it is because of that humility, right? That he's bringing himself down to eat with the regular people, right? But the other reason he did it was kind of more, sin or not sinister, but like more secretive. He would, he really wanted to understand what's going on at the company. And then he could talk to his staff. He could talk to like the CFO, COO, you know, director of this, manager of that. But he felt like they're only telling him what he wants to hear. So in order for him to really understand what's happening in the company, he wanted to sit with these people, like the regular individual contributor people, and say like, what's going on? Like what can, make, what can I do to make your job easier? And he really wanted to know because he really cared, okay? This is what kind of CEO Anadarko had. Then he retired, and then someone else replaced him. The, the replacement, uh, and that's who was my CEO when I was there, and uh, who's still the CEO today as the company is now being purchased. Um, this CEO would definitely never eat in the lunchroom. He'd definitely not sit down one-on-one -on -one just randomly with any employee. He actually still lives in California and he takes a plane every morning uh, to come over. Well, you're the CEO of a big old company, I guess you could do that, okay? Um, but the other thing was too, so the, the company has a big gym, right? And it's a really nice gym. It's not like it's a crappy gym, but it's a really nice gym and people go there, work out, whatever. He felt like, I don't even wanna work out with these people. So in his 30th floor office, they made a section of it and they put like a treadmill and an elliptical and all this gym equipment up there and then made his bathroom into a shower too so that he doesn't even have to go down to work out with the rest of us because he doesn't wanna be bothered and he didn't wanna do any of that stuff. So he had two contrasting CEOs kind of back-to-back -back at the company. Uh, I just thought it was kind of interesting. Anyways, again, kind of going back to this, we're going to look at specifically how Jesus fits these five words. We could, if we had time, look at these five words, or any of the words really, and kind of look at today's leaders, you know, our presidents, uh, the kings of other countries, prime ministers, we could look at pastors, we could look at CEOs of companies, we could look even like very microscopically, even at like our own families, right? right? Like, how is my dad like this? How is my mom like this? How is my uncle like this to my cousins? You know, that kind of thing. 
We don't have that kind of time today. I think it would be very interesting, but maybe some other time. But today, we will focus on how Jesus fits empathy, confidence, communication, accountability, and humility. Okay, so first we'll look at empathy. Jesus, the empathetic leader. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 11. And then we'll also look at Hebrews 4.15 later on. But first we'll focus on Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. So in this story, we have Jesus beginning his ministry. And before he really, really started his ministry, he went out and he fasted. Okay, so verses uh, 1 and 2 say, Then Jesus led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil after fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Right? So he first fasted, and then after he was fasting, the devil came along to tempt him, to test him, to see what Jesus was all about. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, verse 2 says, He was hungry. Jesus was hungry. His body felt hunger. Verse 3, The tempter, this is the Satan, devil said if you are the son of god tell these stones to become bread okay because he's hungry and if he's hungry then if jesus is who he says he is then he could be like a magician and zap bread i'm not hungry anymore right but verse four jesus answered it is written man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of god okay verse five then the devil, being satisfied at that, I guess, took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Verse 6, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Okay? This is now the devil using scripture to try to test him. Right? This is, should sound familiar that the devil would use God's words to confuse you, right? Because this is definitely what happened in the garden, okay? So again, the devil using God's words to try to confuse us, Jesus being who he is, is not confused, will not uh, submit to this. Jesus answered him in verse 7. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to test, okay? One more time. Verse 8, again. The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Verse 9, all of this I will give you, he says, the devil says, if you will bow down and worship me. Okay? All the desires, everything that Jesus sees, the devil says he can give him. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended to Jesus. Okay? This is Jesus showing us how he is empathetic to us. How he knows what we have gone through. He has gone through very human situations, so he can identify us when we go through those very human situations. Okay, one, he was hungry. We have been there. Everyone in the world has felt hungry in one way or another. Right? Not only physical hunger, but the hunger or that feeling of lacking something too, right? You don't necessarily have to just hunger for food, but you could be hungering for attention, hungering for support, hungering for this or that. And what the devil is saying is if you are who you are, then you should be able to do something about it yourself and satisfy that hunger. And Jesus says here, 
that we find our satisfaction from our physical hunger, our emotional hunger, our psychological hunger, or whatever hunger, by what? By the word of God. Okay? The next thing. Throw yourself down. Go attempt suicide and see what the angels do for you. Right? And the empathetic Jesus is able to know what that feels like or able to understand that situation and says that we should not test God. Just because we have all access to all this doesn't mean that we should push the limits and see if God is there for us. Rather, we should just know that God is there for us. Okay? We don't have to know or test this. Okay? If we go jump in front of our parents' car just to see if they stop or not, you know, that does, you don't have to do that. Your parents, more than likely, will stop the car, right? Because they have true love for you, right? Again, I don't want to speak for everyone in every situation, but I will stop in front of, you know, if my kid walked in front of my car, right? Or most cars now will stop for the parent themselves. So it's even physically impossible for their car to run over their children, right? Lastly, okay? All this I will give you, the devil says to us, said to Jesus. If you what? If you just submit yourself to him, to the devil. And really what the devil could have said was, all this I will give you if, as long as you just say that you are not submitting yourself to God. Just do that. You don't have to submit yourself to me, the devil. Just don't submit to God. And I'll give you all of this. Right? All of what? All the things, all the times that we have felt like we are lacking something. That we are lacking financial funds. That we are lacking food. That we are lacking attention. That, you know, whatever we are lacking. <coughs> Land, house, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever. All those times that we are lacking, the devil said he will give it to us as long as we submit to him. And Jesus says what? That no. Regardless of what I have or don't have, I don't care because I worship the God alone. I will not bow down and submit myself to you regardless of what you can offer to me. Jesus has been through everything. He knows what it feels like. That's why we can entrust him with our leadership. He is the empathetic leader. Looking at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it reemphasizes this idea that for we do not have a high priest, this high priest is talking about Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tested in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Okay? This is the Jesus that we follow. The Jesus that has been, every, been through everything we have, so that he knows what it feels like. This is my biggest gripe with a lot of the people that come into leadership over me forcefully, you know, when I have no choice over it, right? If I am at a company or if I'm especially at church, right? Like, how do you know what it feels like to be where I am, you know? You haven't grown up in Colleen, Texas like I have. You haven't gone through churches like I have. How do you know what it's like to be an American Christian in American church? What do you know what it feels like to live in Texas? to grow up in Houston. How do you know? What do you know? How are you going to tell me about that when you haven't gone through that, right? This is something I feel all the time when I face a lot of leadership. 
But I can never say these things about Jesus because he has gone through the things and the pain and the suffering that I have gone through or experienced. And then some. Right? He has endured it all. Okay? So we'll keep going. Confidence. The next three will be kind of both together, uh, grouped together. Confidence, communication, accountability. We're kind of running out of time, so I'll try to go through this faster. So John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11 is where we'll look at this. Uh, these three things will be accounted for here. Okay, This is the story of Jesus' teaching, and then in his teaching, uh, the Pharisees and the scribes, they bring to him uh, a cheating woman, right? an adulteress. They bring to Jesus, and they're expecting and they're hoping that Jesus will say, let's stone her to death. So that they can get Jesus and like discredit him. Okay, so John chapter eight verses one through eleven. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, verse two. Early in the morning, he came to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, placing her in their midst. They said to him, "Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, it says, verse five, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman." So what do you say? They said to, to test him that they might have some charge against to bring up against him. This is one of the rare times that the Bible actually tells us what's going on. Verse 6 says that they literally are doing this to test Jesus. Okay? Uh, verse 6 goes on. Jesus bent down, wrote with his finger on the ground. Verse 7. As they continued to ask, he stood up and said, Let him who is without sin... Uh, among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Verse 8, once more he again bent down and wrote on the ground. Verse 9, when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before her. Jesus stood up, said to the woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Verse 11, she said, no, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I, I condemn you, or neither do I condemn you. Go uh, now and sin no more. Okay. Uh, or his communication uh, yeah no I'm sorry his confidence to be able to stand there as they're kind of bringing all these charges against him and to quietly and patiently be able to what bend down and just ride on the ground right I've been in a situation a lot where people have come to me and asked me like hey I need a decision on this really fast and what do I do I don't have time to think something through, and I immediately just say the first thing that comes to mind. Okay, well, you told me that that's how it should be, so let's do that. And if Jesus would have done that, oh, well, this woman's adulterer, well, the law, the punishment for adultery is to be stoned, so okay, I guess we stone her. But this is not just the normal leader. This is Jesus. Jesus knowing what to do, being confident in what he needs to do, took his time, was patient, waited. It could have been waited for him to process it personally, but he could have been waiting for the people to also be able to, okay, well, they're not ready to hear something right now. Let me wait until they're ready to hear something. Okay? And then when they were ready and when Jesus was ready, he stood up and was able to tell them what he told her. Right? Let him who is without sin among you first to throw a stone. He didn't say that, okay, stoning her is not what we're going to do. He changed it because he knew what the law was trying to say. He knew what they were trying to do. He was in full knowledge and understanding of the situation, and then he owned the situation. He took full control of it. And then he was able to properly communicate this. Do you see how he was teaching them when he they first came up? 
he, sat, he was teaching them by sitting down, right? How many teachers do you know would teach you sitting down? It's not many, it's not many. And when you do that, it's a different kind of atmosphere that the teacher is creating there, right? Most, most environments are like this, one person standing up, lecturing, and then you sitting down and listening, right? But Jesus wanted to create a different atmosphere than that. He was like, everyone take a seat, me too, and let's have a conversation. And that's his teaching style. And that was how he effectively was able to communicate his message to so many, so personally, right? Because it's just not, hey, I'm important, I'm a teacher, I'm standing up, you're sitting down. No, it's like, hey, let me talk to you one-on-one -on -one and sit down together, okay? And again, he's trying to stay true to the word, to the law, right? He knows what the law literally says, so he's going to uphold that because he knows where that's from, and he is fulfilling that law. So he is not going to go against this Mosaic law, but embrace that, but then to be able to, uh, I guess, mold it in a way where this woman is not going to be killed to death, right? All right, so let's keep going. Jesus, the humble, humble leader. John chapter 13, verses 4 and 5, and verses 34 and 35. Um, for middle school and high school students, you guys know this chapter a little bit well. We've been talking about this a lot because it's a chapter I really like. Um, this is, again, towards the end of Jesus' ministry. And this is Jesus now having gone to those final meals with his disciples. And then in the middle of one of those meals, Jesus says this or does this. Verse 4. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, gave it to his and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around them. Okay? Now, from Scripture, what we see here is Jesus didn't say, whoa, 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 this is very smelly in here. I think it's y'all's feet. Let me go wash your feet. Right? No. I think he noticed it himself, and then he quietly just got up, was preparing to do it, and then he just started washing their feet. This is the savior of the world. This is going to be, this is the son of God doing this, okay? Humbleness being two ways, right? Humbleness being physically coming down. So Jesus here physically putting himself at the lowest part of these guys' body, their feet, and then doing a duty or an act that is super low in the order of importance. The person who cleans feet has to be pretty uh, lowly valued. And this is the act that Jesus is doing. To clean the dirtiest part of his disciples' bodies. Okay? So I was trying to think of like what would be kind of a present day equivalent of doing this. And it's, I thought of uh, maybe like people's um, vehicles, right? So when you're driving along in Houston a bunch, your car doesn't get like really dirty, but it gets like this dusty kind of dirt. And then especially when it rains, the rain will then dry and then kind of get this weird grime. And then if you go through sprinklers and then, you know, this kind of thing always happens, right? So this is, these are pictures of my car this week, today, or yesterday, okay? So I thought, man, my car is dirty, but I don't want to clean it. But by Jesus cleaning our feet, what is the equivalent of that? I thought the equivalent of that is like me Cleaning my car with my tongue, I think, is the best way to think of it. Is how could something so clean and so pure and so holy 
do something that is so low and so dirty. And this is what Jesus is doing for us. This is the example that he is setting for us. This is him showing humility. Okay? Uh, verses 34 and 35 then go on to say, A new command I give you, love one another as I loved you, so you must love one another. By this, uh, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How many times does it repeat in these two verses alone? To love one another, to love one another, to love one another. What should we be doing? We need to love one another. And why should we be doing it? First of all, we should be doing it just period. But second of all, and maybe more importantly, because Jesus literally says that I command, a command I give you to love one another. Okay? And then there is power to look at the repetition in Scripture, but there is also power in looking at the conjunction words in Scripture. The ands, the ors, and in this case, the as. Right? When it says, as I have loved you, it's trying to say, or it is saying, that Jesus, me, I am showing you what to do so that you will also go and do this for others. Okay? Love them like I am loving you right now. You know all the blessings you receive, you need to give that blessing to other people in that same way. Do not hoard that. Okay? This is what it takes, this is what it means to follow Jesus. If you don't do this, then you are not following Jesus to the fullest. Because this is what he is commanding us to do. Okay? Why do we need to go evangelize? You know? If they get the gospel, they get the gospel. Well, if you truly love them, and you truly cared and thought and want to know where they would be for eternity, what's happening with their salvation, will their name be called up on yonder? You would go and tell them. You would go share the gospel with them. Because you love them. right? You care about them deeply. Okay? Furthermore, when we as believers are able to gather together and show the world this kind of love, the world will take notice. The world will and can change when this happens. When believers and followers in Christ are united in this love. And I believe, Jesus is telling here, that that's the only way the world is going to know. The world is not going to know because of all the knowledge of the Bible that you have. The world is going to know because of the love that you share toward other Christians and toward the love that you share to them as a non-believer. Okay? So Jesus, the humble leader. Again, we can talk a lot about all these words. Jesus takes care of and is very much a lot of these other words. He, he delegates a lot, right? He could have just evangelized the world, you know, when he was here. He didn't. He empowered all of us to go do it, right? And there's lots of other words, but we don't have, obviously, time today. <clears throat> so before we end, I just want to repeat that we follow and we can elect to follow this kind of leader, right? The leader that the internet tells us Everyone wants the internet, your peers, the writers out there in the internet today say this is the kind of leader is most effective, most desired. This is kind of the leader that the world needs, but why doesn't the world turn to Jesus? Right? The world doesn't turn to Jesus because the followers of Jesus do not love one another. 
right? The world will know by your actions. The world will know when we're able to effectively love one another of the power of Jesus, okay? Because they will too will want that, okay? All right, let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much, Lord, that you have loved us and that you have first called us. And because of this calling, Father God, Lord, now that we have a responsibility and a desire and a hope to take this message, to take this faith that we have and to go to the world, Father God, Lord, please help us, um, guide us, lead us, Father God, Lord, so that we do not stumble, that we're able to overcome the temptations of this world, Father God, and that we're able to truly impart the love that you have for us to the world, that we're able to love the world as you have loved us. Lord, please help us to grow in that way, Father God, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, normally we will do offering now, but we're running short on time, so we will just close with Lord's Prayer. Okay? So if you do have offering, uh, I will say give it to Chipsanim, and then Chipsanim will take it to offering office. Okay? So let's end with Lord's Prayer. <clears throat> Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.